And welcome to the deep dive. How are you, Mr. Smith? Very good, Trent. How are you? Well, we're back. We're back for episode two in our interview series. We are very lucky to have the Sydney champion and fellow podcaster, Ted Richards. How are you, mate? Going well. Th- well, guys, thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure. Yeah, absolute pleasure, mate. Looking forward to it. And um, fellow podcaster, it's nice to um, have a bit of discussion with another podcaster. How are things going in podcast world? It- People underestimate the effort that it takes to put a podcast together, and I uh, I talk a bit of shit on mine, and people might just think that you just kind of um, rock up and just start talking, but uh, uh, people don't actually realize that I actually put a bit of effort into it, and uh, it takes a bit of time to research, and um, I'm now, I only put out one episode a month, and that's kind of enough, that's all I can commit, I think I'm about 40 episodes in. Um, and I, I really enjoy it, but I'm in awe of you guys that punch out well, one or two episodes a week, or you know, so because uh, because it, it does take a bit of effort. It does, yeah, yeah. A few games of football need to be watched uh, at least by one of us uh, to have a conversation about what we talk about. But um, obviously, your realm—I uh, mean, you could spend all day doing market research and analysis just for one episode. So I can, I can only appreciate the fact that you only got enough time to put one out a month. That's amazing in itself. Mm. Um, so tonight, like, I, I'd love to obviously, of course, chat a little bit about your, your career, but I think a big reason we want to chat to you too is um, talk about financial investment and, and definitely get into the podcast and, and Six Park and talk to us a bit about what you've been doing, you know, post your football career. I guess to start as well, obviously, like it's hard to ignore it, but I guess how's, how's ISO life for Ted Richards? Like it's hard not to start the conversation with that at the moment. How are things going for you, mate? Uh, yeah, so it's good. So I've got a uh, uh, married with kids, got a four-year-old and a two-year-old and yeah. um, uh, my wife's pregnant with our third. So oh, um, Congratulations, pres- Yeah, presenting some um, headwinds for being able to, to focus in on work. So my wife... Uh, came up with this great idea of of I could put like a um a green sign on my study door if the kids can come in and, and have a chat and have a talk or a red sign that they can't come in. I was like, oh, fantastic! What a great idea! So that was about two months ago, and uh, the red sign hasn't come off the door since. So because uh, <laughs> I just uh, just trying to just trying to balance up, you know, uh, the young kids. Kinder, Kinder's back on, daycare, uh, and all these things. So it's, I was, at the start of this, I was a skeptic of work from home, but um, however many months it's been now, I'm a convert. So whenever life does return to, to normal, I think going forward, I'll probably do two or three week, days a week from home. And no doubt that red sign on the front door will, uh, that'll stay up. You could paint the door red at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> And how, I guess how, like, you know, for us, you know, we were doing, we did sort of, I think we ended up doing three podcasts remote, which was definitely a bit of a challenge on multiple Zooms and Ed trying to produce this remotely as well was pretty hectic. But I guess as a business for Six Park, how are you, tell us a bit about Six Park, but also uh, how are you guys handling it as a business? Yeah, so at Six Park, we, we provide investment management online. Um, so on, on one hand, we were built for this. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't meet with clients face-to-face. Uh, we are purely online. And the benefit of that is um, is one of the benefits is it, it's low fees for clients. But um, 
I can't ignore the fact of what the markets have done the last few months has has prevented presented some challenges in terms of uh, what we're seeing with both you know the Australian and the and the US and and other international stock markets has meant that performance has, has come back um, so uh, which has affected you know everyone's investments be it direct investments or um, or their superannuation accounts etc and so it's just a matter of uh, regularly communicating with clients, making them aware of the benefits of, of long-term investments, ignoring the noise in the in the markets, the day-to-day noise, and um, uh, ensuring that they, they stay invested. And, and what we've seen at the, the time of recording, what is it? It's it's almost late late June. It's been one of the the craziest last few months in that we've we've gone from this terrible bear market crash yeah. into 50 of the best days ever from an investing point of view so quickly. So um, it, it um, confirms the importance of not trying to time the market and jump in and jump out. That's just, that's just impossible. But rather just if you can, um, get invested and stay invested. So for the listeners, I mean, you know, post, you know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know a lot about your football career and we'll, of course, talk about that a bit as well. But um, in terms of transitioning out of the game, I mean, I, I know you've obviously studied what, while you were playing. How, how did you manage that transition? You do hear a lot about footballers that do struggle, um, you know, moving into the, into the business world or wherever they move post-football. But you obviously, um, you know, seem to have done that really well. How, I guess we, we spoke to Sam in our last episode. He's obviously just started into his career. I'd love to talk a bit about, you know, how that went post your career and, and, and how you managed that and how you ended up doing what you're doing. And just quickly and conversely, was it something that you had already envisaged from a young age yeah. that you already went, okay, my football career is X and there's no guarantees. I need to have something as a backup and something to dive into um, post-football. Yeah. I'll, I'll answer your question and first um, in that I was always aware that I needed to do something. Um, it's The numbers speak for themselves. The average career length is four or five years, somewhere in the vicinity of 50 yeah. games. If you reckon you're going to be set for life on that, um, yeah, good luck. So I always wanted to do something. At the age, I was drafted at 17. At the age of you know, 18, 19, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had some passions and interests that I wanted to pursue, um, which I'll speak to sh- shortly. But one thing I did have at Essendon were some fantastic mentors. So as a, a footballer's week, it uh, looks like, you know, obviously weekends are, are pretty hectic um, and the training program Monday to Friday is is, is, is pretty full on, but they, they mandate that every club has to have at least one one week, one day of the week, midweek off, mm-hmm. where players are encouraged to pursue extracurricular study or worker, et cetera. And so when I was at Essendon, the likes of, Chris Heffernan, Mark Bolton, James Hurd, Scott Lucas, these guys that I really looked up to, they didn't view the day off as uh, time for golf. PlayStation or something like PlayStation, that. PlayStation, yeah. 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 Scotty Lucas would be on the tools uh, at, at building sites. 
Uh, Chris Heffern and, and Mark Bolton would go to study at, at uni. James Hurd, you know, Brownlow medalist on what would have been a huge football contract. He'd go in and, and work and he'd stay off. So I'd yeah. look up to these guys and say, think, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough to me. I'm going to make these sacrifices too. I had no idea where I wanted to go with it. And I did a Bachelor of Commerce because it's can kind of take you a bit of everywhere um, because it's so broad. And um, when I moved up to Sydney, continued that. And it was it was in a bit of the reading that I did that I've I, I worked out. Well, I've got a, quite a bit of an interest in uh, uh, investing and making money, um, as many people probably got a bit of an interest interest in that too. Mm. And um, th- uh, started off to offer to do some work experience. Um, really enjoyed that work experience. Did further study. And then started to work under a fund manager, and and all of this while I was playing, and and I made made a lot of sacrifices whilst I was playing to be able to get that certainty and direction. Um, in that I can't play golf uh, as much as I'd love to be a good surfer. I can't surf. I uh, I'm no good good at Call of Duty or anything like that. But um, um, I studied for 15 years straight, and um, built up a bit of a direction and um, that's what I moved into after footy. So, yeah. It's definitely paid dividends for you, that's for sure. Well, I, I'm i lucky in that I loved my time in football. It was a real passion, but I, I really enjoy what I'm doing right now. Um, and yeah. I, I don't, I'm not saying that to, to try and um, – uh, I'm, I'm just saying it because I, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm, I'm part of a great team, um, and but at the same time, kind of had to work hard to to get the foot in the door there too. Yeah, and look, um, from an outsider looking in, being a fan of world sport, um, the exposure to pro sports in North America and Europe, it, it feels that this next crop and this next generation of AFL footballers see the glitz and glamour um, of players and now they're on so much more money that they can finish their careers and live on easy street because it's 10 million 15 20 mm. 30 million per annum um, and the top players in the AFL are getting one and that's, that's a very small percentage so it's um, and I know Trent wanted to um, get your thoughts about um, while you were playing, what when you've touched on it, there was that one day off a week um, that teams and, and I guess the AFL from the top were encouraging players to go out and do something else, whether it be study or an apprenticeship and whatnot. Is or do you know that if that's still what's going on in clubs? And if so, do you feel that with not only this? exposure to other sports, but especially now with everything that's happened in the last few months, could the AFL expand on that so that the next generation of players aren't feeling like the only way they can make an income is by getting that media role or going down that real old school traditional path of an AFL footballer and buying a pub because ultimately that might not exist in two or three years' time because we're still recovering from... Uh, what we're going through at the moment. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I was on the the board of the AFL Players Association for about uh, four years there, and 
uh, the the AFL and the and the Players Association and the clubs they do a lot to help encourage players to think beyond the game. However, the the analogy that I like it's it's kind of like um, if someone wants to lose weight and someone's willing to pay for a uh, a personal trainer to 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 look to work someone over. It's all well and good to provide that benefit, but someone's actually got to get it up and work their ass off and yeah, lift the weights and, and do all the heavy lifting. So, and and yeah. what I'm trying to say here is, it's all well and good for the the P, the players association or the AFL to put these these. Uh, encourage players to think beyond the game. But if if the player's not going to take it up, if the player's still going to choose that golf's more important or the PlayStation, then there's only so much you can do and, and, and it, it is what it is. Yep. Okay. Because okay. you were saying before, um, you know, you attributed having those mentors that, that and that definitely led towards you, you know, putting in that extra effort. I guess it, yeah, it's been interesting talking to Sam as well. I'm sure you can speak to this too. I guess it, you come in it from a really interesting angle um, in terms of you know having now that experience, and also I think you do a good job on the podcast explaining um, investment um, simply, uh, which I think you know a lot of people um, appreciate because obviously you know I, like I've invested in you know real estate, and part of that's really only because I don't understand a lot of the other side of it. But I think. Um, yeah, I think you come at it from a really interesting angle. I guess do you do you feel there are you know elements of things that the AFL could do a bit better to I guess educate players to invest and and also diversify investing, which is obviously something you talk a bit about. It's it's very hard to speak broadly uh, yeah. for a, a group of six to seven hundred people for what you know where they are at, at, at their career, but, you know, with so many just starting off, so many towards the end of their career and, and um, so many probably a matter of months away from getting delisted and never offering another contract. So it's very hard to kind of have a cookie-cutter approach. I, I, do, yeah. I do think it's a um, – but I, I do want to pick up one thing that you, you mentioned there about my podcast and trying to talk about investing in a very easy-to-understand way is that, there's there's quite a few similarities between investing and sport, one of which is they're both immensely competitive. But the other is we can make football as complicated as we want it, and we can all try and make ourselves really smart when we talk about uh, roll-off stats and all these things. And, and I know your podcast is great because you don't want to do that. You want to talk about actually relevant, specific things and, and not just um, – uh, and investing is the same. You'll get people that'll talk about it. And all it is is they're just trying to show off their ego, some of the jargon and some of the acronyms that they know and they can speak about. But you don't need to talk about that. You can actually simplify it and, and strip it back to the what's important. And, and that's what I try and do with, um, with investing. And, and I'm, I'm sure that's what's also great when it comes to football too. So you must love the guru that is Warren Buffett then because he keeps it pretty very simple about getting in and and doing simple things like whether it's just investing in indices because it's shown for the longest period of time to get a very consistent return. How, how good is he in his um, <laughs> he, ability? He's a master for a reason, yeah. Yeah, to 
use analogies um, to make it to really slim, simplify things, and um, that's real insight. And when I'm watching a game of football and there's eight commentators, and yeah, so I, I can't get. But, but every now and then, like there'll be like I really like Nick Rewalt uh, since he's coming to the media. I watch him on the couch every now and then, and. He doesn't overcomplicate things. He, you know, he 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 talks about some really um, important things. Then it, it might just be about emotion. It might be about um, what's happening. But it 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 doesn't need to be uh, overcomplicated. So a bit about your football career. Obviously, starting at at Essendon, it's interesting because we actually both lived in Sydney and and you know mainly based in Melbourne. But I guess how how did you feel? things differentiated between playing for the two clubs in terms of the cities and the environment is it like did you feel sydney was was easier to play in because it's less of a bubble how how did that feel for you uh yeah so they are quite contrasted in that i came to essendon uh 2001 was my first year essendon won the flag in 2000 when they they yes. were one of the greatest teams of all Arguably time. Arguably the best single yeah. season yeah. team ever to play the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were only yeah. a couple of points off winning every game, yeah. Yeah, and so I went there as a 17-year-old kid and went into this um, – I went into this club, you know, which was like a – there was a there was this huge attention on this team and, and – People were talking about, are they going to win four in a row? You know, kind of things like that, even though they've only won one. And um, uh, so I, I just couldn't get over um, the attention that when I first came to the club. Conversely, my first year at Sydney in 2006, the Swans won the flag the year before too. And um, I won't say that the city didn't care. The city was proud of the Swans and, and um, from what I hear, had come leaps and bounds from where they were a decade or two before. But there was just kind of little things where you just picked up that you can you don't have the same spotlight on you as as a as a Victorian or a, a um, traditional football state might. And that really became a benefit as to where and the times, and to be fair, it wasn't too often, but in the times when Sydney and the Swans had a bit of a slump and we were able to keep focused in on ourselves and we didn't have to deal too much with a bit of outside noise because it's relatively, it's a, it's a bit easier to switch it off up there. You don't have the media scrutiny waiting for players to leave the ground and walk to the car park. Most of the the newspapers were um, interested more in rugby league rather than AFL. And um, yeah, so there there was that benefit to it. And I guess obviously you know you moved up to Sydney, and I think you initially initially they had the idea of you being a forward. Did they not? Was that not the initial idea? A little bit. Yeah. So. Um, I got invited to go up to um, to Swans to meet the coaches, and this is part of the reason why I wanted to. In that, my manager at the time um, said that the Swans coaches really want to meet you, and this was the Wednesday, the Tuesday or the Wednesday before 
the grand final. And I was I was in awe that here is Paul Ruse and his assistant coaches four days away from the big you know, one of the biggest games in the club's history, in that they had hadn't hadn't won the, the premiership in seventy odd years or however long. And they want me to fly up so they can start talking about how I could fit into their plans for next year. And it was just a, such a vote of confidence. So I went up there and I sat down and I met with the coaches, uh, John Longmire, Andrew Ireland, and they, they, they really drew on the whiteboard how they saw I could fit. And, and it was um, Mickey O <clears throat> operating deep in the forward line, Barry Hall working around the arc um, of the forward 50, then myself kind of working wing to wing and Ryan O'Keefe being that real workhorse, excuse me, going, you know, up into the back line and um, then um, back up forward. Ryan's got a huge engine in him. Uh, He's he's capable of doing it. And that vote of confidence kind of sold it to me. Yes, I'm going to be that, that forward, you know, to, to play that role. Um, as, as you're no doubt aware, things turned out differently, but, um, yeah, quite, I was quite excited about uh, being that goal-kicking hero. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, and you touched on some like, genuine A-graders in, in AFL over the, the recent times and obviously uh, came, it, came into Essendon, success, came into Sydney, success, and uh, just before finishing up your career, Sydney, success, and throughout those two clubs and the, the, the little period of football that you played was, what, 15, 16 years, um, obviously got to play with uh, a number of uh, players that are, A, already all-time greats um, and uh, a few to, to finish their careers and they'll go down as greats. In your humble opinion, and you've got a bit of knowledge because congratulations on being inducted to the Sydney uh, Hall of Fame earlier early this year, was it? Early so that's, that's yes. a great yeah. achievement. Um, who's, in your opinion, the best player you've played with at AFL level? I know uh, it's a cliche question, but yeah. I have to ask it. Uh, I spent a lot of time sitting on the bench at Essendon and I, I can just remember Hurdy just doing things in crucial moments in big games. Um, and I just being in awe of that, um, or the swans, the, the standouts, so that the, the player that, that did that for the majority of my career at the swans was Goodsy, who was able yeah. to put himself in the mid, kind, kind of like Hurdy used to do. Just, he might have been playing forward, just pick up. The team needs a lift. Um, grabbing this team and pulling it back into contention for this game. Could he putting himself in the midfield and, and, and kicking an incredible goal? And, um, and then towards the end of my career, um, Buddy and um, Buddy's freakish ability to, 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 to do what he can do. So uh, I hate to split it, but I'll, I'll say those three. No, no, that's all right. I, pro- I yeah. probably would have uh, penciled in at least two out of those three, uh, if yeah. not all three as well. Um from that generation of obviously um, very successful clubs um, that you got to play with and be a part of. Yeah. And in terms of rising to that success in, in 2012, and you're obviously a, you know, a big part of that in the back line. How, how, how did you, I guess, approach 
becoming a great backline player and, and what did you attribute to developing those skills as well as you did? Uh, I think you're being very complimentary as to kind of where I was, you know, a few years before there. I, I was like, my career was pretty much done. Uh, it was at the end of 2000 and it was halfway through 2010. Like I thought I was going to, I was going to be delisted and, um, I'd spent about eight weeks in the reserves in the middle of the year, and it w- I was very fortuitous in that, um, for, lucky for me, Craig Bolton hurt his foot and got me another opportunity to get back into the team and was lucky enough to get another one-year contract. Um, <clears throat> where I'm going with this is it was that turning point in my career where I thought that I may not get offered another contract where I, um, I did a bit of reflecting and – um, kind of drew on the experiences that I'd had from about the 10 years prior and really worked out some things that I wanted to focus in on and have a plan for how I'd improve as a footballer and not and um, um, the, the, the line that I like is most overnight su- successes are like 20 years in the, in, the, in the making and a lot of people t- have pointed out well how come you were so crap in 2010 but you know my career took off from then. It may look like that, but I, I, th- I think I learned a lot in those years, and I put down this this plan, and it, it worked for me. I, I um I added weight, I added muscle, I got stronger, I concentrated on the mental side of the game. I, um, I, I really focused in on skills that were important to me, and. Um, I did it week after week, and um, um, I'm very glad I did because. So I, I, it's a it's a long ramble, but I think that's that's part of the reason why I had a, a good year in 2012. Well, yeah, a good year is a bit of an understatement. Uh, premiership. It was pretty all round, like a perfect season for a footballer. Yeah, premiership, all Australian, second in the Bob Skilton um, medal. So. Better than just an okay season, I reckon there. But as you yeah. said, and, and as people with tall poppy syndrome in Australia, people will often hear someone go, "Oh, look, I want to be the next um, whoever," and people go, "Well, you can't be like that." So, well, that person's only successful because you know them as being successful, um, and all the hard yards happen beforehand. In the social media game at the moment, Gary Vaynerchuk, huge, but. He started off working his old man's liquor store in Jersey for years and years and then built it up to an online platform in the early 2000s and then was ahead of the game of technology and then a blog of talking about wine. That's where he worked. Nobody knew who he was in 2000, 2001, and all of a sudden he's got a, close to a billion followers or whatever he's got and, and testament to you, like you just said, you almost got delisted but because of the 10 years prior to that, you knew exactly what you needed to do to prolong your career. And uh, obviously, it's, uh, yeah, the proof yeah, is I was, in the pudding. I was, a, I was a fringe player. And at the end of that season, I worked out that I wanted to be the best centre-half back in the competition. And I was embarrassed to say it out loud. I certainly didn't tell anyone at the club that, but I wrote that down. And I'd tell it to myself over and over and over until I think that I started to believe it, and um, I didn't want to. I didn't want anyone to know that because of maybe that tall poppy th- uh, syndrome that you mentioned before. And 
maybe just deep down I kind of I kind of knew how far off it was. So, you know, I was yeah. getting the bus to play footy in the Needful in Canberra, and um, so yeah, it probably probably would sound a bit delusional to people, but um, uh, that's how it needs to start sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And were there any specific defenders that you took inspiration from at the time? Like, were you looking at Scarlet, or were there any any guys that you just took heaps of inspiration from and, and based elements of your game on? Yeah, it was. I looked at the best. So this is end of 2010. Watched the final series. It was Scarlet. It was Rutten. It was Glass. Yeah. Bock. Bock had a really good year, and and I compared myself to them. And one of the obvious differences was that they were about the same, all the same height. They had about five kilos on me. Yeah. In a one-on-one wrestling with Barry Hall. Um, uh, who were the, you know, all, all the all the gun forwards back then? They'd probably have me. So I, I thought, stuff the three k time trial. I don't care. Um, I'm putting on. I'm putting on size. Stuff goal kicking. I'm just, just punching footies. Yeah. And um, uh, I didn't really go and tell everyone about it that that was the plan. But um, yeah, um, it worked. Yep. In terms of modern footy, I mean, post the game, do you, do you find yourself watching a lot of footy? Do you, is it still something you really enjoy watching? Yeah, I, I do. I um, I've really missed it in terms of with COVID. I've been foraging for mushrooms, making sauerkraut, like some of the shit that I've been doing on the weekends. I go, what the hell? <laughs> um, my wife rolls her eyes with something like that. Anyway, I won't go down that that rabbit hole. Um, uh, I do what I what I'm aware of though is as every season goes past since I've retired, my connection, my friendships with clubs just due to the high turnover of the industry becomes less and less. So um, I love watching my mates play. So um, be it uh, a lot of Swans players that I played with or, you know, a Dan Hannabry or a Lewis Jetta or, or these guys that have gone to other clubs. Um, but I am aware that I'm having less and less of that personal connection with um, the Swans. And I guess watching footy now, who's a defender that you really like watching or a player that you like watching? But I guess in terms of your line, is there any defenders that you, you really like watching? Yeah, yeah. Um... One of the guys actually had a milestone game on the weekend. Um, Maynard, was it? No, no, no. Uh, the, the defender for uh, Brisbane. Um, he's uh, oh. the co-captain. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say because if if he's impressed and he's a captain, uh, I, I should know his name. Um, uh, starts with H. Uh, Harris Andrews. Anyway, Harris, Harris, Harris Andrews. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Andrew, Har- I can remember watching Harris Andrews and Justin Clark probably – going back five or six years ago, these two young kids uh, playing what was then a pretty shit Brisbane team. And I thought those two kids had two of the hardest jobs in footy to play, you know, key position in this young Brisbane team. And, but I could see that they were so good. And unfortunately, this story hasn't ended well for Justin who um, had to retire at the age of 22 because of the the, the concussions that he received. But for Harris, he still goes under the radar, but he's 
I just think he he's he's a pro, I love his approach. No frills. Um, he just gets the job done. He's up there in Brisbane, and um, and I think it's a credit to him because not only is he is he playing a great role as a key defender, but uh, he's been a from from how I look at it, an integral part in turning this club Brisbane Lions into a destination club where other players looking at going. I'd play for that. Yeah. And, and uh, you know the Lockie Neals have come across and 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 others. Um, um, so uh, he's he's one that I'd like to call out. It's yeah. funny. I, I spent about five minutes talking about Harris Andrews in the review last week, and we got two tweets during the week, and I was like, "Geez, you guys talk about Harris Andrews quite a bit." And I was like, "It's good. It's great to watch." Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Seems well. like he's arguably great to watch. The 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 number one defender going around well, in football at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's super efficient. He, he can lock down any player. He's. A, I agree. I, I love watching him, but I love watching the the, the Lions at home. I reckon they're very, they're an exciting team to watch overall. Well, my so son, saying, who's 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 four, he um he decided last year he wanted to go for the Lions. I was like, what about the Swans? And he's like, no, 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 the Lions are tougher. A Lion will be the Swan. And I was like, yeah. I said, I might I might let you just go with that because I actually like watching the Lions play too. So uh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one other one we'll get through. Um, so, best player you spoke about the best player you played with. Who, who's the best player you played on? Yeah, uh, I get. If there's one question I get asked a lot, it seems to be that, and uh. it's it's the the answer is as a defender, like it's one thing to be a good player, but it's if you've got supply. If you've got good midfielders up the oval, um, it is so much harder to play on. And um, the example that I might use here is Nick Rewalt, who in certain parts of his career, Nick was so hard to play on because he was part of an awesome team. And don't get me wrong, Nick was still a hard player to play on, even in the, towards the end of his career when he was part of overseeing the rebuild of this club. But it was nowhere near as hard as playing on playing on Nick in say 2015 or 2016. It was nowhere near as hard as playing on Nick in 2010 when they were the, one of the one of the two best teams in the comp. So um, anyway, to answer your question, it'd be um, a Nick Rewalt when the Saints are up, a Buddy Franklin when the Hawks are up, or a Jonathan Brown when the when the uh, the Lions were up back in early days. And it can't have been easy even in training with Barry Hall as well. No, no. Did you get scared he, every now and again? He would. He, <laughs> He's a big boy. He threw punches at intra-clubs. I'm sure he did. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh. holy, like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's an intra-club. We play together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the opposition. <laughs> we're, we're just out for lunch. Yeah. Wow. Um, um, I believe we've got a couple of uh, guests Oh, a couple oh, of questions, questions from a, from a, a bee porte. Um, um, tell us a bit about your beekeeping. He tells me this is something we need to discuss. <laughs> so remember how I was talking about uh, mushroom yeah. foraging and things like that? Well, here's another kind of weird passion that's – well, this actually, to be fair, it popped up before COVID. But um, I said to my, my wife, asked me a few years ago, like, what was something that I, I might want for Christmas? And – I think I said it just kind of off the cuff. Oh, a beehive would be pretty cool. And I never actually thought anything had come of it. And um, 
about two years ago, uh, I woke up Christmas morning and got a beehive. <laughs> wow, <laughs> fantastic. And you know what? I I love it. I That's really great. love it. I, um, I Now I've got kids. I love educating them as to kind of where food comes from. I I love trying to learn new new things that are um, um, so I've got this beehive and um, last year it started producing honey so I bottled up about 50 50 uh, 50 jars and I've given them out to friends friends and family and um, I can't get over on one hand like how many people kind of laugh but at the same time go so uh, how do I get one? And um, yeah, so it seems like there's this there's this fascination, and um, I, there's been this tipping point in the last six months where, like, on Instagram the other day, David Beckham's setting up his beehive. Um, wow. Uh, what's um, what's that actor from? What's what's the famous Australian actor for Thor? Um, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, he's got himself a beehive. He's a honey guy. Yeah, and um, so my wife, who kind of rolled her eyes at me, going, "You're an idiot." Uh, I go, "Well, you know, awesome. it's just me worth not anymore." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. So, um, good question, Ben. Um, yeah, he also um, was. He also would like to know a little bit more about the little planes from China. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so. Um, I've, I buy these little planes on uh, eBay that have got these little motors in them and, and take my kids to the park. And I, I just think they're awesome, just, you know, throwing these planes and flying them around. And I was furious one day. I threw one and this dog ran over and, and just chewed it up. And this 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 guy showed no remorse whatsoever. Oh, really? <laughs> so, um, yeah, anyway. That's harsh. That's, uh, just, so just I'm a little passion that. that you can uh, yeah, that, that's share with your kids. Fun with the kids. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, um, I think. Go, you go. No, no, I don't have. I don't have anything else on my radar to, to ask. But oh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about Six Park. I mean, you spoke before a little bit about it, but I guess how, how do you feel that? I guess Six Park, just for our listeners as well, how do you feel that it differentiates from the competition? I think looking at the website and looking at a few other bits and pieces, it seems like, you know, it's certainly really, you know, well-priced, but I guess, you know, can you talk a bit about that for our listeners? Yeah. Um, I guess when it comes to investing, so many people just jump straight in the deep end and they go, uh, uh, what stock am I going to invest in and everything like that? But I think it's, you need to zoom out a bit because the first thing people should be working out is, What's my um, what's my risk profile? Because uh, everyone kind of actually needs to pass their own sleep test. It's one mm. thing for me to talk to talk to someone about some stock, but they're not going to be able to sleep at night because they're worried about whether that stock went up up or down two or five percent. Then either that investment's not going to last long, or their health isn't going to last long. So it's really important to ensure that. When you're investing, you're actually recognizing your own risk profile. And some people are much more aggressive and, and some people are far more conservative. And what we do is we determine someone's risk profile and then make an investment recommendation according to that risk profile. It's not a it's not a one size fits all approach. And and then when when you're investing for the clients, 
it's it's not putting ever all your eggs in one basket and just hoping that 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 punt comes off. Um, it's it's diversifying, and um, um, I can speak to, speak to um, shortly to what we're seeing in the market right now. Um, but once you got that diversified portfolio, having a level of oversight from people with decades of experience managing investments through all aspects of the business cycle um, to ha- harness that power of compound returns and and importantly keeping fees low and that that's that's what we do at six park um, what I mentioned before about what we're seeing in the market right now um, ASIC the Australian Securities and Investments Commission actually released a, a study recently in um, I think they released it in May talking about what they're noticing with the increase in people opening up training accounts. And it's concerning because the amount of people, well, it's, it's great that people are interested in investing, but the amount of people opening up training accounts was up to four times the usual amount. People are just opening up these accounts and the report showed that the average holding period for the investments that these these retail, these mums and dads are making, the average holding period was down to one day. So there are mums and dads out there day trading. And, and but there is no fundamental logical sense in terms of, I'm sure, the decisions they're making. It was They're, they're pretty much just throwing darts at a, at a dartboard blindfolded and, and hoping some of it might, might come off. So it's really recognising that there's investing and then there's punting, there's speculating, and um, they're not the same. Yeah, absolutely, um, which I kind of leads into um, the question I actually did have down that I forgot about is, this time of uncertainty, obviously, fear in a lot of people's eyes and over decades now, that's obviously, um, for those who are empowered and who are educated, uh, also brings a lot of opportunity, especially in the marketplace, whether it's um, shares, property, or, or now um, with crypto uh, and, and, I guess, precious metals, another um, traditional uh, method. Do you Have you seen... Uh, especially over the last, I guess, six to eight weeks, um, some strong opportunities for people who are willing to, again, to repeat what you said, to play the long game and um, continue to uh, grow wealth while in traditional, I guess, income-generating work scenarios um, might sort of not directly uh, offset any losses as far as income goes but at least sort of help balance the um, ledger a bit? Yeah, we, we, we get often asked about, you know, when's a good time to invest or, or what's, what's the next, next big thing or what are some of these trends? Um, and I, often my answer is boring in that the best approach is to get invested and stay invested because I just want to – draw draw attention to a good investment a good business 
doesn't always mean that it's a great investment. So, for example, what we've seen play out over the last three months with some of these online businesses really jump up, be it Amazon, Facebook, Google, etc., is that they're, they're businesses that will probably, you know, uh, and their their monopolies that they have that they'll they'll have a a great future, but at some price they are so overvalued that you can't actually make any money there. And equally, at the other end of the spectrum, there are actually some businesses right now that might, people might consider a poor business, be it um, what's something recent, say a Virgin, a Virgin that's gone into. Actually, that might be a, a say, say a retail business like Maya. At, at at some time, a business like Maya actually becomes an attractive investment because the valuation is so low. So, um, people don't always um, can't separate the fact that um, a good business isn't always a good investment they're, they're, because of the valuation there. So. Um, it is a long answer. What, what I want to say is it's, it's far more important instead of trying to focus in on all these, these different businesses that are probably outside of people's circle of competence, um, focus in on your bread and butter, get that right, use exchange-traded funds to get exposure to asset classes, um, and it's really pretty much get invested, stay invested, top it up when you can. And um, that's usually harness the power of compound returns. That's usually the uh, the way the, the best investment portfolios work. And sixpark.com.au as well for yep. the listings. I'll put the URL as well in the show notes. Um, and I guess while we're talking about that, um, where can people find your podcast, the Ted Richards Report? Yes, yeah, so... Um, Pretty much all the same places that they 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 find this podcast. So um, um, I'd appreciate it if um, um, you give the the podcast a subscribe. It's got my ugly mug on the on the logo. So um, uh, apologies for the eyesore there. But um, if I've had some, I try to speak mostly about investing and uh, finance. But you listeners may be interested in that. I do, from time to time, have a bit of a sporting, in particular, a football skew to the conversations. So, for example, uh, a recent episode was with um, uh, the founder of leading teams um, who does a lot of work with football clubs, the Swans, Hawks and Geelong, talking about he facilitates the cultures within the teams. And it's a, it's a fascinating business that Ray has there. Um, I've also spoken with um, the likes of Chris Jard and Joe Watson in, in terms of the businesses that they've got outside of football. But I've also spoken with some US um, professors, one of which is um, Cade Massey, who's a uh, professor at the Wharton School of Business and also does some consulting work with NFL teams. And his consulting concentrates on how they can improve their decision making, and he, um, Cade doesn't actually open up in terms of um, telling people the, the clubs that he's currently working with. But it, a lot of it comes down to how can they recruit better, and it, it's it's pretty much kind of 
uh, I won't say Moneyball 2.0, but it's it's quite fascinating in that how can clubs remove that gut emotion, that um, that old school approach to to making decisions, rather than that using data to make a more informed, unbiased decision, and and using that to um to increase uh increase the likelihood of success. Sounds interesting. And you, you mentioned um, a little while ago that there was a couple of camp type scenarios that you uh, were, were prepared to bring up. I hope this is not going <laughs> to throw things, uh, too many cats amongst the pigeons. But I, I forgot about that. I did say about that. I, I can't get over like, the amount of attention that um, this Adelaide camp oh. uh, has gotten in previous years because I, I was part of some camps in my time at football that were just absolute debacles. And because there was no social media back then, like, the club just got away with it. There was one camp when I was at Essendon, and we went to Can River, which is um, those yeah, are, on your uh, way from out to Malacuta. Yeah, in, in uh, East Gippsland. In middle of nowhere. Yeah, in middle of nowhere. Yes, well and truly middle of nowhere. And uh, I don't it was actually, I believe, a camp that was run for drug addicts and where they take people into the middle of nowhere and, you know, sit down and, and, and they've gone, we can actually tweak this camp to, um, um, you know, still, still get the people in the middle of nowhere, but we'll add some um, fitness elements to it. So we got there and, like, the bikes were just horrible. Like there was, there was like whoever was organising things at that end just just stuffed up, and like there was that much whinging going on. There was a player, and I won't tell his name, no. um, rang up a taxi and said, "Get me out of here!" And like he just left, and everyone was like, "All right, yeah, he's gone." And <laughs> the coaches could sense that they were losing the players. And it was just hilarious. Like every day, like the fitness element just went, they're like, yeah, too hard. And we just had like these um, treasure hunts in the daytime to like, for like, for like oh, you know, see what you can, you know, find. And, and there'd be like slabs of beer and Mars bars. And that was Perfect pretty much all. Yeah. yeah. And it was so, it was so funny. When I look back on it, um, that camp in terms of, um, but um, and the amount of whinging that was going on about this camp, but uh, uh, and every now and then I'll hear of Can River um, I mentioned the, in the media, and I always reminisce, and, and some of my former resident teammates will laugh back to this camp that was uh, went on, but um, yeah, that that would be one that stuck out. Oh, the amount of things you hear about this Adelaide camp, the next thing we'll hear is they had to, you know, cross the fence of Area 51. Like, it's just starting to get so ridiculous, these these stories. It's oh. unreal. There was another camp I went on where the Essendon decided they were going to take any leader or emerging leader to Japan for a, uh, a camp. And anyone that didn't fit in that bracket as being a leader or an emerging leader, they'd go to Horn together. 
And I didn't <laughs> qualify in the, the leaders or the emergency. So we just went down the lawn and we had the best time ever. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't often hear of those camps going on anymore. No. No, I wouldn't think so. Um, otherwise, yeah, it will be uh, I can, Adelaide, I can Adelaide point two, 2.0 everywhere. Yeah, I can remember. We, we, most nights we just finish up at the Lawn Pub betting on greyhounds. <laughs> well, I guess in relation to that, like, do, do you feel that the, it feels like to me that the relationship between players and media has never been more uh, scarred, stretched. I guess, stretched or however you want to say it. Do, do you feel that, having been in the system? It feels like that from the outside. Do you feel like there's a lot of mistrust? When I was at like early days and I, and I joined uh, SM, we did media training. And the media training involved like just being told the media are the enemy. They, mm. They're out to get you. Don't say anything. So you're kind of, as an 18-year-old, you're put in front of this camera and people laugh at some of these lines and these straight bad answers and, um, that, that people say. Go, oh, can you show a bit of personality? But these players have been drummed into them. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. So it's, I think, I think that the best players and, and the, the the new approach is listen. Media is part of it. Media actually pays the players' salaries. You need to work with them. And I think if if you give the media a bit, um, they'll respect it. But it, it's um, the minority that don't really respect that professional relationship and try and probably push the boundaries it probably can can break some trust for some players but um, uh, social media is is adding an element that um, I only had to deal with towards the end of my career yeah it was definitely an interesting contrast to Sam Wiedemann who we interviewed recently you know he's having to do hours of hours of media training and He's, he deleted his social media because he was getting so heavily abused on there. Um, he was really open about that. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really go into that so much because he's kind of covered that a bit. But and then he you just got, said it's just not worth it. Like I, you, I get you know hung every game. Yeah, and then you get the ridiculousness of uh, what we saw over the weekend between Rui and um, and Hugh Greenwood. It's like it's yeah. laughable. It's like it you, two, you two uh, grown adults uh, stop. I don't know. You just wouldn't have seen. Well, like, obviously, when it wasn't around, you didn't hear of anyone having those types of conversations i can remember it was two it was about 2011 where this shift in eyeballs started to happen in that i um jenny mackesy who was heading up our media department at the swans at the time was a good friend of mine she was an ex-journo and they'd create she'd speak with the journalists um and create content for the website you know, in terms of articles that would be emailed out. And then in a matter of 12, 24 months, this shift happened where the amount of eyeballs coming to the Swans Facebook page, I don't believe Instagram was around back then, uh, well, not big for the club back then, was just huge and there was just no content. So she decided the players, like, pretty much if any of you have got some ideas – for kind of things that we can put up on the website. Um, 
I'm happy to work with it because like we, we've just got nothing. And so myself and some other guys, we just take the piss. We do, we seriously would just take the piss in front of a camera and then upload it. And we just all laugh. And she goes, listen, can you keep doing more of that? It's getting all these um, clicks and the, you know, the sponsors and the club are happy. And you go, Jenny, like, you know that I'm just talking shit, <laughs> you know? And, and um, it was, it was funny because it was this small period of time where there was no social media manager. There was no um, specialist in terms of content creation. And um, for a couple of years there, um, we just kind of do it ourselves and have a bit of fun along the way. Yeah, I do miss that. I mean, it reminds me of uh, uh, Ablett Jr. And, and Stevie J just doing trick kicks into bins and stuff out the back of GNHVA. Yeah, it's like, those, that's right. And that just added uh, some content to their, their page and, and whatever little social. But it was entertaining at the same time. Yeah, yeah well, you now can, I, mean, I see you... some TikTok videos and I'm like, yeah. Oh my god, that is so impressive! You know the the, the amount of um, uh, production that that goes into these things. It's, it's anyway. Well, you can see why I think a lot of the clubs are investing. Well, now it's going to be interesting post COVID and everything going on now. But you know, trying to invest a bit more money into their media department so that they can not control it, but they can do you know the production on their end rather than you know, fearing of what's going to happen at the other end because it often gets misrepresented. Absolutely. So that's why we really wanted to start this, um, not just the podcast, but these kind of discussions so we can have a, you know, a bit of a long-form, open and honest discussion where someone's not taken out of context and it's it's pretty easy going. Yeah. So we'll let you, we'll let you get back to your your evening and your family and, and your bees. Thanks. The, uh, the world's my oyster. The, the kids are asleep and uh, I get a bit of time an hour or two to, to put my feet up before uh, hectic times in the morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. Well, all of our listeners, um, check out sixpark.com.au. Please check out the Richards Report as well on all the podcasting platforms. Thanks so much, Ted. You've been a pleasure to talk to. Um, we'd love to have you back at some stage as well. We can chat about where the market's at and certainly once we, when, when we ever we get to the back end of this season, um, it would be great to, to have another chat. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's a historic year where we're going to look back in and go, uh, you know, remember that. And um, who knows how this season is going to play out in terms of um, the fixture. You know, the time of recording, this fixture still got to be sorted for uh, well, that's uh, the rest of the year. And and who knows what that what um, the flow and effects for that might be. Absolutely. Yeah, I certainly don't uh, don't envy Travis Old trying to do the the, the fixture right now. <laughs> no, nah. it'd be pretty difficult having absolutely no idea what's absolutely going to happen. or being a premier of any of the states that are involved with <laughs> AFL at the moment either. Yeah. yeah, we might be all heading to WA at this stage. <laughs> or the territory, <laughs> which mm. the 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 Darwinites would love it if they got multiple games up there week in week out. They'd mm. love their footy. Well, at this stage, I think almost anything can happen. Yeah. Thanks very much, Excellent, mate. Excellent, mate. Yeah, thanks for your time and, and jumping on and having a chat with us about footy and investing and, uh, and bees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> thanks, Take care. Guys. Thanks, Cheers. Man. Pleasure. Cheers, Ted. Anytime. Cheers, mate. Bye.